Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. This morning, I want to do something slightly different. In that usually when I preach, I try and bring some clear application about the message that I've shared. Because there is something in me that says, if a message doesn't have an application 10 o'clock tomorrow morning for people, then why am I preaching it this morning? It needs to have an impact on our real lives. But this morning... I want us all to bring the application. I've lined a couple of people up and warned them in advance. But actually, as we go through this word, I'd like you to think about how does this have an impact on me? How does this affect the way I live? How does this affect the way I work tomorrow or go to school tomorrow? And then actually at the end, we'll have a time where some of you can share that and say, this is what I think it means for me, and it might mean that for other people here as well. (coughs) Because the last couple of times I've preached, I've spoken on two out of three subjects that I felt God just impress on me over the summer. And you'll remember, I, I... spoke the first week out of that verse in Ephesians 4 where it talked about speaking the truth in love to one another and explained how that gets twisted in our thinking to be a way of breaking bad news to people whereas that is not the context of the verse at all. It should be that we should be building one another up by speaking the truth of God's word into each other. That's what Ephesians talks about in Ephesians 4. We should be saying to Colin that he's got a row of medals on his chest because he's brought a sacrifice this morning, a sacrifice of praise. And because of that, God will look upon him with honour this morning. We should be talking to others like that and building each other up in the truth. And then last time I talked about affirmation. About how within the Godhead we see affirmation going on. How when Jesus was baptised the heavens opened and God said, this is my son. Now he didn't say that because Jesus didn't know who he was. He said it in affirmation. And in the same way we looked at how God wants to affirm us and wants us to affirm each other in our everyday life. And we talked about how the relationships that we have with those who sit next to us, with the others in the church and with the wider church can make a difference to how God can bless us, both as individuals and corporately. And we want, if we want to see God's hand on us more and more, there are some things we need to do so that God can bless us and then the community around us 
and the town in which we live. So I spoke about how if we really grasp how God really loves us and cares for our lives, then our preoccupation will become more about honouring him than worrying about gaining honour for ourselves. And it's out of that that we become much freer to affirm and honour each other. And today I want to talk more specifically about this concept of honour. And in particular about honouring authority. Now this has a direct impact on us as a church, but it's relevant everywhere we go. Because some of us here are parents, and you need to see that that is a position of authority in our homes. And if you're a parent, you know how great it is to be in that position of authority where your kids just honour and respect you and do everything you ask of them and particularly if they're teenagers yeah if you work you may be a manager but even if you're not you almost certainly will have a boss we all have people who are in authority over us and some of us have people who are under our authority. And the same is true when you go out into the community. There are leaders in the community. And it's important that when we talk about this subject, we are clear what we mean by honour and respect. Because it can so easily get confused and twisted. <clears throat> so, in the words of Euretha Franklin... R-E-S-P-E-C-T Let's find out what it means to me. I want to start out by stating what I don't mean when I talk about honour and respect. I don't mean towing the line. I don't mean about being worried about having to fall into line or overstepping the mark. It isn't about lines. What I'm talking about is something that goes on in your heart. I'm not talking about grinning and bearing it because someone is your boss or your teacher or your parent. It is a genuine heart response that means that you sincerely love and trust Honestly and in a healthy way respect those who are in authority. Now the question can be asked, why should we do this? Why should we respect those in authority? Why is it a healthy thing to do? Because in our culture, there is a negative view on respecting those in authority. Our culture gives out quite a different message, and it gives it out in all sorts of ways. It gives it out through its music. It gives it out through the media. In fact, a lot of what we see and hear is about protest. It's about rebellion, and it's about individual rights. Who do you think you are to tell me what to do? I'm my own man, you know. 
That is the prevailing culture where respect is often seen as a weak and foolish option. It's portrayed as if you're not, if you respect others, if you honour them, you are not a free-thinking individual. If you don't moan about your boss, if you don't snipe about the head teacher in the staff room, if you're a teenager but actually get on with your parents, then something is wrong. In fact, it's wrong if you don't hate the police. That's what our culture would have us believe. Is it even desirable to have that kind of relationship? Yet I think if we're honest, we all know that something inside us is stirred up when we see examples of people who come together for a common purpose and lay down their lives for others. You may have seen the film, Lord of the Rings, and if so, you can't fail to be stirred by some of the scenes of love and honour and respect that the characters have for one another. And somehow, we would love to be a part of something like that, where we could look someone in the eye and tell them we would do anything for them. And know inside that they feel the same about us. That feeling in us is an expression of the desire for the kind of community that God has placed inside us. In John 3.16 it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And that's what the church is meant to be like. I want to give you this morning four reasons why we should honour and respect those in authority over us. The first one is this. In the kingdom of God, there is no authority unless you're under authority. In Matthew 8, we read the account of Jesus when he meets a Roman centurion. Now this is a military man. He'd have been in charge of a group of 80 or 100 men. They were soldiers. And he would lead them, he'd take charge of them, and he'd be responsible for them. He's the Roman army's equivalent of a middle manager, a department head. He has people below him, but he also has people over him in authority. And this is what we read about his encounter with Jesus. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward, appealing to him. Lord, my servant is lying paralysed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I 
too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marvelled. And he said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go. Let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. I think that's great. You know what? You know you have done something good when God marvels at you. And the servant was healed at that very moment. This is what Jesus said, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Now that's some statement. Think of the great men of faith that might be heroes to us. And yet here is this middle manager in the Roman army and Jesus said, I have not met anyone like this guy. What was it that made, what was it that this man had discovered that made Jesus react like that? What is it we can learn from him? Here's the thing he realised. There is no authority in the kingdom of God without being under authority. What we mean by that is that our ability to take authority at work, at home or in the church is dependent on our ability to be under authority. Our ability to take authority over sickness or to see our friends saved or healed is dependent on how we relate to the authority above us more than anything else. Look at what the centurion said in verse 9. Because I don't think it's what you'd expect him to say. You might expect him to say that he's a man of authority. To say that he has the power over a hundred men and that when he says jump, they jump. But instead, he says he is a man under authority. What he's saying to Jesus is that he understands how this works. And that's quite a revelation. Because here is this centurion, and he's understood something about how things work within the Trinity that people struggle to understand ever since. He understands that Jesus worked not out of his own authority, but out of the authority given to him by the Father. That Jesus' ability to heal the sick was dependent on him having the right relationship with his heavenly father. Far more than his power as God himself 
gave him the ability to command healing, which of course he did have. And Jesus confirmed that himself in John 5. In verse 19 he says, Truly, truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Jesus is God. But he's saying he can do nothing of his own accord. And that is quite an alien concept to our thinking. But what Jesus is doing is he's making it clear that his authority comes out of this relationship with his Father. Authentic authority does not come from your force of personality or from just lording it over people. It isn't because we're taller or louder than other people. Authentic authority comes from how you respond to the authority over you. If you respond well to that, you also have authority. And that is a pattern we see throughout Scripture. The second reason. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, it comes through being a servant. I don't know about you, but I reckon most people have in their lives a burning desire just to be good at something. To be great. And it almost doesn't matter what it is. It could be tiddlywinks, it could be anything. And that's why, if you look through the Guinness Book of Records, alongside some truly remarkable feats of power or endurance, you find the ridiculous. For example, the longest leg hair is 16.51 centimetres. That's six and a half inches. And that belongs to a guy called Wesley Pemberton in the USA. And it was measured on the 9th of February 2008. So for those ladies amongst us who haven't shaved their legs this morning, you have nothing to fear. Meanwhile, Ken Edwards of Glossop, Derbyshire, a retired rat catcher, ate 36 cockroaches in one minute on the 5th of March 2001. Now, my desire to be great at something does not compel me to eat cockroaches. But people need to feel that they're great. I mean, there are loads of things. There's loads of things I look at and I think, wouldn't it be nice to be good at that? But largely, I either don't have the talent or I don't have the time. But in the kingdom, if you want to be great, <coughs> greatness is about serving and not lording it over people. And it's interesting if you think back to that story of the encounter with the centurion, that the centurion came to Jesus to seek healing for his servant. He was in charge. The servant usually did things for him. But his servant was suffering. And he was upset about that. So he went out of his way to ask Jesus to heal his servant. 
he wasn't lording it over the hundred men below him. He was coming and serving one of them. He was caring for him in his heart. And that is what Jesus tells us is greatness in God's kingdom. In Mark 10, he calls his disciples together and he says this to them. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great amongst you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life to ransom for many. We follow a God who hung on the cross because he cared so much that we were going to hell. We worship a God who humbled himself, who took on flesh and died because he so loved the world. Greatness is about serving. Putting the PA out. Putting the chairs away is greatness in the kingdom. Turning up early to set up the kids' room is greatness. Spending your time making publicity materials, doing the song words, are marks of greatness. Serving the tea and coffee is greatness. The world will tell you it's not. But it is. Jesus said, it will not be so amongst you. Those who lead our worship on Sunday are great. Because they're often the first to arrive and the last to leave. These are all great people. Along with the others who serve us in other ways. And I mean that. Because God thinks like that. We want this church to be great. And so this isn't just an individual, it's a church value too. As a church, we need to be serving. We need to be serving the wider church, the community and the town in which we're situated. Number three. Trusting in the leaders God gives us is an expression of faith in his sovereignty. How many of us drive? I gather from a conversation that my wife had just before the meeting that this might be a particularly apt illustration. But how many who drive find it hard to be a passenger? Yeah. Do you need to be in control? Is it a bit scary when you're not in the driving seat? When we feel like that, we're saying that to one extent or another, we don't trust the driver. I know that, and I know that for a very good reason. 
Because I'll tell you, I'll be totally honest, I do everything I can not to go out in a car being driven by a learner driver. That's because of an experience I had 25 years or so ago. There was a young lady in the church we were in at the time who often came and babysat for us. And one evening she came round and she was chatting away and she was a bit down. Some things hadn't gone well for her at work and it was just all getting on top of her. And then Moena had a bright idea. This young girl, we called her Tracy, was learning to drive at the time. And we had put her on our car insurance so at some point we could help her out with some practice. And Moena said to me, why don't you take Tracy out for a driving lesson? Well, I asked Tracy how she was doing, whether she'd mastered the clutch and could manage hill starts and all that sort of stuff. And she said, everything was fine. So off we went. Now, at the time, we had, for those of you who remember these cars, a Ford Cortina Mark IV. It was the one with the 1600 overhead uh, cam engine. And they have quite a long bonnet on them. Unlike a lot of more modern cars. Anyway, I drove down this little dead-end lane just outside the village. It was virtually unused, and it was fairly straight, and I thought, that was a good starting place. I turned the car around, faced it back down the lane. I got out of the car, swapped seats with Tracy. She got into the driver's seat, closed the door, fastened her seatbelt, pressed down the clutch, put it into first gear, released the handbrake, and we were away. And everything went fine for the first 10 yards. It might have been 11. I don't want to exaggerate. But then, somehow, and I still do not understand it to this day, how things could happen so quickly in first gear, I found myself looking through the windscreen, leaning forward in my seat against the resistance of the seatbelt at the bottom of a ditch and a large blackberry bush. Somehow, in those ten yards, the car had turned through a right angle and gone into the ditch. I struggled to get the door open but managed to get out and neither Tracy or I were hurt. But the vehicle was now nose down in the ditch. And as a friend who came to help me rescue the vehicle later in the evening commented, it now looked more like a space shuttle than it did a car. If you've ever tried jacking up the back of a Cortina, it takes a lot of jacking up to get the back wheels off the ground. And yet here, the whole back of the car was off the ground. You know, when I get into a, drive, like a passenger seat next to a learner driver, I just see blackberry bushes. But if we can see that, 
What you see is my actions are saying, I don't trust the driver. And we need to understand that the same principle holds in church. When we're saying we don't trust leaders, what we're saying is we don't trust God. We have to develop a faith that is bigger than that. Because leaders don't always get everything right. And that's when you need to look at scriptures that say things like, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Because verses like that really come to life when you're facing difficulties. And they are not just trite sayings. They are They are things you can cling to in difficult times. Our faith has to be bigger than that. It has to be bigger than what's happening now. Throughout the Bible, the heroes of the Bible understood that. Like David. He knew that God was in charge. And if you're part of Gateway Church, what you will know is that we are wanting to develop a culture that has the values of the kingdom at its heart. We want to honour and encourage things, even when they're small, because Jesus says the kingdom starts off small, and then it grows into the biggest tree in the field. If we're going to do the things we believe God's called us to, praying for the sick and seeing more healed, casting out demons, calming storms, multiplying food, raising the dead, just for little things that Jesus did and promised we would do, then we need to understand the authority to do that comes well from relating to the authority above us. All of the things that Jesus did flowed from his relationship with the Father and his willingness to be under authority. You know, people can be in charge but lack authority. In government, people have office but no real authority. At work, people have positions yet no one really listens to what they say. And tragically, the same can happen in the church. You can have someone who preaches, but no one really respects them. And the result is the same. No one listens to what they say. They have the pulpit, but they have no voice. We want to grow as a church, not just in numbers, not just in fame, but in authority. We want to increasingly pray for the sick with the authority that Jesus had and see them healed. We want to call people into a loving, merciful relationship with him and increasingly see people respond because we are doing it with increased authority. In our jobs, we want to have increasing effectiveness to lead people well and to encourage those who lead us. I mean, my boss at work needs a lot of encouragement. You should see the people he has to manage. And if all our staff had that attitude, he would be so much better at his job. You see, it isn't just for the church. 
That's never the purpose of anything. The point is for out there. But we need to start to get it right in here first so we can take it out to where God has put us. The fourth reason is the Holy Spirit loves it. That's why we should care. When you read about Israel's journey to the promised land, you start to realise that God loves being amongst the people who respect leaders and respect each other. And he doesn't want to be around them when they don't. He doesn't want to be around people who are gossiping or backbiting. He loves people who honour and respect each other. So what if it goes wrong? I mean, some of us have been in places like that. Because people in authority do make mistakes. You know what? I make mistakes. I bet most of you do too. The only people who don't make mistakes are people who don't do anything. And as we look in due course to appoint elders in the church, I'll tell you one thing is for certain. They will make mistakes. You need to expect that. Why should we think that they will be perfect? In Genesis 9, we have a wonderful story about Noah. (coughs) Now Noah's a good guy. He heard from God. He responded to it. And yet this is what we read. The sons of Noah who went went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah and from these people the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and he became drunk and he lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew that his youngest son had done for him. Just to explain. They've got off the ark. Noah decides to till the soil and he plants a vineyard. And then having done that, he does what any godly man loves to do. He gets drunk. And then he gets naked. Now, if there's anyone here who's not married, that shouldn't become as a shock to you. Okay? He makes a mistake. But what is fascinating is the reaction of his sons. He's got these three sons. Shem, Japheth and Ham. Now, I mean, I have to be honest. Noah was a great guy. But could he pick kids' names? Ham. I mean, it's a flavour of crisps. Anyway, Ham sees him naked. 
And to him, for some reason, it's the funniest thing he's ever seen. So he goes out to his brothers and he says, Hey, guess what? Dad's in there. He's drunk and he's naked. You've got to come and see it. It is so funny. But Shem and Japheth have more respect for their father. And so they back into the room so they don't see him. And they take a blanket with them and lay it over him. Now, these sons give us the choices that we have when people make mistakes. We can be like Ham and we can say, look at this, I knew he would make a mistake. I told you so. I knew it right from the outset. Or we can lovingly do our very best to cover them. By cover them, I don't mean cover up the mistake. It's cover them, not cover them, cover up. It doesn't mean we don't speak to them or bring correction or challenge them. But what it does mean is that our heart isn't for vindication of ourselves, but for their redemption. We want them to come through, not prove that we were right. Some while back I heard a radio interview. And it was about a group of soldiers who'd come back from Afghanistan. And they were actually bomb disposal crew. They'd go out in the night searching for explosives and defuse them to make it safe for others. And as they talked, they explained that the guy at the front is the one in the most vulnerable position. Because if there is something he misses and he steps on it, it will cost him his life. And then they spoke to his number two, the guy who followed behind him and said, so I imagine you keep your distance then. And the guy replied, no, I do quite the opposite. I stand as close to him as I can. Because I want him to know that if he steps on something, I will suffer the same fate. Because I want him to know I trust him. That soldier has heard something of God's heart. When we follow leadership that we trust in, that put him first, we need to stand so close to our leaders that if a mistake happens, it impacts us as much as them. That's the kind of people we need to be. We need to be demonstrating something more like heaven than on earth in this area. So those are the four things. There is no authority without being under authority. Greatness is actually about being a servant. I can't find number three. The last one is the Holy Spirit loves, loves it. That's why we need to do this, to have honour and respect for one another. And we need to trust in our leaders, because that's an expression of faith in God's sovereignty. 
We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk.